For our second meditation tonight, I'd like to uh, look in Psalm chapter 11. It's a passage I was reading the last couple of weeks. Uh, And there's some verses there that struck me that I wanted to share tonight. Um, Psalm 11, starting in verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Looking through that psalm, we see a couple of of things. We see the holiness of God and his righteous testing and judgment of mankind. We see that he is holy. There's no vestige of sin, evil, or wickedness in him. And he cannot tolerate any sin or any wickedness in his presence. He judges the hearts and actions of men. It says he looks at those who are wicked or love violence, And because of their sin, which his holiness cannot tolerate, he sends judgment upon them and casts them away. But he looks at the righteous, and he loves their righteous deeds, because he himself is righteous. And those who are righteous are accepted into his presence and will see his face. The only man who has been truly righteous and upright, with no sin, is Jesus Christ. Were it not for his righteous life and his substitutionary death on the cross in our behalf, we would have no hope. But instead, we would be lumped into the wicked of verse 5. So as we think on these verses, we're presented with a problem. We're told that God hates the wicked, and that is exactly where all people find themselves. The Bible tells us there are none righteous, no, not one. Apart from Christ, we're all enemies of God. In fact, what really struck me about verse 5 is that it says that the Lord's soul hates the wicked. I hadn't really thought about God having a soul. I don't think about that very often. When we speak of the soul, we think of the very central part of our being. Psalm 103 says, Psalm 103 verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It equates the soul with all that is within me. So everything inside of God, all that he is, the very core of his being, we might say, hates the wicked. Not as a grudge or a whimsical response to something he doesn't like, but as a right and just response of a divine being who is holy in every way and who cannot tolerate sin in his presence. In fact, here in verse 6, we're told that those who are sinful and wicked will have coals rained upon them, fire and sulfur and scorching wind, a vivid picture of the wrath of God that will be poured out on the wicked. This is what all people will experience who are apart from Christ. God's wrath and judgment are referred to here as the cup that the wicked would drink, full of sulfur and fire, reminiscent of the judgment that was brought against Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. And this is the cup that Christ, as it were, drank in our place. 
the cup of God's wrath. The wrath of God that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the wrath that flooded the earth, struck down and consumed Nadab and Abihu, the wrath that swallowed up Korah and his household. This is the cup of the wrath of God that Christ was facing as he went to the cross. This is the wrath that would be unleashed on him on the cross. As he contemplated the enormity and force of that wrath that would separate him from the Father, he went with his disciples to Gethsemane to pray. Matthew records the account as follows. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then later in the same passage, he prayed again, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. The thought of the intense and infinite wrath of God being poured out upon him filled him with sorrow, troubled him even to death, and caused him to plead that he might not have to endure it. But having thus prayed, and knowing that the Father was directing him to the cross, he rose from that prayer determined to drink this cup that was before him. As Jesus was being arrested, John 18, 10 and 11, we read, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Christ told Peter not to fight or resist what was about to happen. Instead, he willingly went forward to take that cup, full of the wrath of God, and drink it for the sins of his people. Psalm 75.8 speaks of the wrath of God as a cup well mixed that God pours out, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. This is what Christ had to do for us, to drink this cup down to the dregs. He drank it all. Not one drop of God's wrath was left in that cup as he perished to pay for our sin. This is the enormity of the weight of our sin and the outpouring of the wrath of God that he endured on the cross for us. And once the cup was empty, the wrath of God was appeased. He had completed the work he was called to do and won for us reconciliation with God. Christ's death satisfied, satisfied God's wrath so that those who trust in his death for our sins would escape the judgment and wrath of God and be counted as those who are righteous. The second verse of the hymn, O Christ, what burdens bowed your head, speaks of the cup he drank for us. It says, Death and curse were in our cup. O Christ, t'was full for thee. But thou hast drained the last dark drop Tis empty now for me. That bitter cup, love drank it up. Now blessings draft for me. It was out of love that Christ bore our sins on the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. 
Are you believing in him today? Christ died that we might live, and so we owe him our very lives.